Lord, I thank you for today. I uh, just sense my own inadequacy and marvel again at the reality that you've taught us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that you have chosen to use broken vessels to uh, communicate your truth. This is something that we as your creatures ought not take lightly. I pray that you might help us to be attentive today. I pray that you might help me. I pray that your truth would be clear and that we would come to know you more deeply, that we would repent of sins, that we would be encouraged, that you would help us to honor you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. One of the uh, audio books that uh, our kids uh, and we have enjoyed listening to uh, is the delightful little series called The Green Ember. I don't know if anyone has listened to that at all, more of a kid's story, but uh, interesting enough to draw in me as an adult as well. And one of the characters finds themselves in a very um, difficult and hopeless situation, uh, and at one point, one of the characters is about to tell a story, and another character comments that this story is needed, and in his words, to make us brave. And I don't know why uh, this one little line in the book has stuck with me uh, as much as it has, but we are a people who need stories and who need stories to help make us brave, we might say. And I think that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is. Today's passage is a story written to help make us brave as Christians. And of course, you've felt it before. You've you know what it feels like to read a good story and to feel that new energy to go and vanquish the evil of the world. You've set down a good book at its conclusion, and you've thought to yourself, man, I need to do more, or I need to be more courageous, or I hope I would stand up to the evil of this world like that particular character did in the book. I love that feeling, that, that moment where there's this you know, kind of excitement coursing through your body and just not satisfied with where I am today. I need to go out and preach the gospel more, and I need to go out and, and, and encourage people in the Lord more. This is accomplished, one of the ways in which this is accomplished is through story, through the power of the written word. And of course, the Bible is full of these kinds of stories, stories that help make us brave. One might think of the story of David and Goliath, where David defiantly asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? (laughs) Or one may think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they stand before the king, and we read this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Or one may think of the Egyptians crossing the Red Sea where we read, 
and in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And you read these accounts And you recall the stories, and you recall how God's people were in a difficult situation, and God came in and rescued them, and he used people to do this, and your adrenaline spikes for just a moment. You recognize that the Lord is victorious, and by his grace, we are on his side. And then you realize, I too ought to be out there fighting the Lord's battles with courage and with bravery. And in his kindness, the Lord has given to us examples in this world, not just in scripture, but in the world, not sinless individuals, but evidences of common grace. God has given to us men and women in this world that are like us, full of sin, yes, and yet have done some things for the glory of God. For instance, who does not get excited at William Wilberforce's statement? And of course, you know the role that he had uh, with abolishing the slave trade. Uh, But who does not get excited when they read this? You may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. We need stories to help make us brave. We need stories of success and victory and courage and love and the dominion of Christ from shore to shore. We long for these stories, and we find many times unusual encouragement from them. What kind of a story, you might ask, would help make us brave so that we have the necessary motivation to abound in the work of the Lord? I think we recognize the problem here. We ought to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Every one of us, we could go around the room and take an inventory of what this past week was like, and we would all have to acknowledge that at certain points, in fact, perhaps even many points, we have failed to honor the Lord as we ought to. We have failed to be a witness for Him like we ought to. And So we might ask ourselves the question, what kind of a story would help us, motivate us, so that we would abound in the work of the Lord? Or let's ask this question a different way. We could ask it this way. We could say, what kind of a story do we need to hear that will cause us to shake off our apathy and get back into the ring? What kind of a story would that be? Or we'll ask the question a third and final way, and that is this. What biblical truth will motivate us to pursue radical obedience to Christ? What would that biblical truth be? Of course, I mean, the whole Bible is full of these kinds of stories. But for our purposes today, we will ask the question, what biblical truth will motivate us in this way? The answer to that question is simple. It is a story about the end of time. God gives to us, in their passage today, the events that will take place, some of the events that will take place at the end of days. And this is designed to motivate us to do something in the here and now. By giving to us this passage today, the Lord demonstrates that there is a connection between our knowledge of the end of days and our present obedience. 
these two things are connected together, that knowing something about the way that the world will end, the conclusion of everything, somehow has a tie and a connection to the way that you are living your life today. There's something that brings these two together. Something links together what you know about the end of days and the way that you parent your children or the way that you witness to your coworker or how you speak to your father or what entertainment choices you pursue or how much you pray or how much you read, a, read scripture. There is a connection between these two things. Let's read the passage today and start to explore what this connection is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 50, going through the end of the chapter. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I'd like to look at this section, in, uh, or this, this passage in three sections. We're going to see the change that takes place, the victory, and then the application. Every good story begins by telling you that something is wrong with the world. There is, we might say, a dragon to be fought, a kingdom to be reclaimed, a damsel in distress to be rescued. And we are told in this passage what is wrong in the very first verse of our text, and that is verse 50, and that is this. I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. One of the most fundamental observations that any human being could make in the world is this. Something is wrong. And more specifically, to hone on in the text in front of us, something is wrong with our bodies. Our bodies, even the person who is in top physical condition with no ailments. Our bodies are frail. They are weak. They are fragile. As the human race, we struggle with sickness, with cancer, with dementia, 
with any number of afflictions. And in addition to these physical realities, we struggle also with things that are not physical, things that are mental weaknesses. We have short attention spans. We have distractions by things that are meaningless. We have a failure to discipline our minds adequately to focus on truth. We find these things true in our own hearts, in our own lives. And perhaps the most obvious truth about the weakness of the human body is given to us in verse 50, and that is simply this reality that the human body is perishable. In other words, your human body has an expiration date. You will not live forever on this earth in this same identical state that you are in. Thus, we need bodies, we need new bodies, bodies that are properly equipped for a resurrection, for an eternity. And just like fish are suited for water uh, with gills, and just like birds are suited for the air with wings, so too we require bodies that are suited for heaven. We see... Um, that because uh, here uh, we have flesh and blood, our current bodies as they are cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We see that in verse 50. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We would be like fish trying to fly or birds trying to swim. We would not be suited for that environment. We need to be equipped with imperishable imperishable bodies, and therefore, we require a change. And we've seen this the last several weeks, but this is kind of coming to a head here in verses 51 through 53. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. The mystery that he refers to in verse 51 is the mystery that not everyone will taste physical death. We, uh, (coughs) excuse me, some will escape it who are present. Those people who are present on this earth at Christ's coming will escape physical death. All believers will be changed. Those who died will be resurrected to the imperishable state, and those who are still alive when Christ comes will not die, but they will still be changed to the imperishable state. This will happen, as verse 52 says, in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, it will happen instantaneously. This will happen at the sounding of the last trumpet, or we might say at the end of the age. And the conclusion, this specific conclusion to the events of the the world, of this world, is the beginning of the encouragement that we need. 
We asked a question at the beginning, what story would motivate us to do what we need to do in the here and now to obey Christ? And the story that we're being told now is the conclusion of the world. We asked for a story to make us brave, and the first installment is what we've just seen. Namely, that the events of this world will conclude, and those of us in Christ will inherit imperishable bodies. And that is the first bit of taste of victory, the first bit of excitement that is continued in the next section to an even greater degree. We read this in 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are certain times where as a pastor or as a preacher, you are confronted with the reality that no matter how hard you try, no matter how much mental energy and blood, sweat, and tears you pour into the sermon preparation process, that your efforts to convey the meaning of a passage will fall woefully short, be inadequate. There are times when I uh, preach a passage and I'm, I'm preaching a text and it's like I can taste with like the edge of my tongue what it would be like to preach this passage well if I could. It's just there. I, I can, if I can just phrase it differently or, or say something that might convey this in such a way as to bring the weightiness of the text on our hearts and to bring the weightiness of the truth of Scripture onto our hearts, I, it's there, but I can't access it. That satisfaction of a sermon well preached feels so elusive. <laughs> it feels, I'm grasping for it, but just cannot quite get a hold of it. And, to be honest, anyone, if anyone who ever has preached Scripture would be honest and true with themselves, they would admit that they ought to feel this way every time they preach. There ought to be uh, a recognition that Jesus could preach this passage better than I could, right? After all, he's Lord of all. There ought to be a recognition that there is something that I, I'm not quite there in this. We ought to feel a certain inadequacy that reminds us that we can only do so much as fallen human beings. We ought to realize that God's word is ultimately sufficient and I am not. I sense that if you were to give me... Uh, a thousand years to study this passage, just this only, these few verses here, I would still come woefully short in my delivery and my proclamation of this because there's so much truth here. One of the reasons of this awareness, again, I'm not saying I feel this way all the time, I'm saying I ought to feel this way all the time, One of the reasons that I have felt this awareness in this particular text is because this passage 
is what one person called the Christian's victory song. And so you study through this passage that is a victory song of the Christian, and it's, it's like, I want to instill in my own heart and in all of our hearts a sense of the joy and the delight and the depths of the wonder of the victory that we will have as Christians and do have as Christians that was secured to us because of Christ. This passage is a good ending to a story that started out sad. When we put on our imperishable, fit-for-heaven bodies, this victory song will finally come to pass. And of course, this victory song is a reference to Isaiah 25 and verse 8 that simply says, He will swallow up death forever. And just like David taunts Goliath, or just like Elijah taunts the prophets of Baal, so too Christians taunt death. Oh, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting now, death? We taunt death as Christians, not because we have defeated death, but because we are tied to someone who has. That's Christ. And so we sing both mockingly and victoriously, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's gone. This is the kind of story that can cause us to be brave. Because we know that death is vanquished, it is conquered, it is destroyed, it is finished, it is done away with. Now, I do need to insert one observation here that some may be wondering about. And that is, some of you may be wondering why people still die, even though death is conquered already. And perhaps maybe an illustration would help this. I came across this illustration this past week, um, and this is uh, an example of a man who was driving his children to the funeral of their mother, his wife. And it goes like this. He said, it says, as he drove his children... To his wife's funeral, Barnhouse stopped at a traffic crossing. Ahead of them was a huge truck. The sun was at such an angle that it cast the truck's shadow across the snow-covered field beside it. Dr. Barnhouse pointed to the shadow and spoke to his children. Look at the shadow of that truck on the field, children. If you had to be run over... Would you rather be run over by the truck or by its shadow? The youngest child responded first. The shadow, it couldn't hurt anybody. That's right, said Barnhouse. And remember, children, Jesus let the truck of death strike him so that it could never destroy us. Mother lives with Jesus now. Only the shadow of death passed over her. Yes. Death 
still exists. However, according to this passage, death no longer has a sting to it anymore. There's a difference there. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because death is not permanent or final, it is only a passing, fleeting shadow. And one day, when we are in heaven, we will realize that all of death's victories will be undone. That that great enemy no longer has any power here because of Christ. You see, in verse 56, let's explore why this is the case. We read that death's sting is sin and sin's power is the law. But as you might recall, Jesus Christ obeyed the law perfectly and because of that, he forgives sin. So if Jesus obeyed or since Jesus obeyed the law perfectly and since Jesus forgives sin, what sting is left to death? None. There, there is no sting left to it. Why? Because of verse 57. You have to remember to keep verse 57 tied to everything that's going on here. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You did not conquer death. Jesus did. And now you're tied to him. Chris Austin says this. He says, For whence after all this is death to prevail? Through the law? Nay, it's done away. Through sin? Nay, it is clean destroyed. <laughs> death, you don't prevail anymore. You don't have any sting anymore. Your, your stinger has been removed. Christ is victorious. Here, Romans 6 is a passage that I would encourage you to study that makes this reality abundantly clear. It's a reality that is present in this text, and it, I think is even more clearly stated in Romans 6, and that is that we are bound together through what we call union with Christ so that Christ's fate is our fate as believers. Christ lives and we live. That's what this text is to Death, yes, there's a, a physical shadow of death, but you will live beyond that because you have union with Christ. Just consider some of these passages. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? <laughs> Anyone? Any takers? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Christian victory. 
Revelation 20 and verse 14. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's done away with. Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. How could it be possible that we could be raised from the dead and then death will be no more because of Christ? The Christian faith is a story of victory. The spoiler alert is that Jesus wins. It is a story of success. It is the story of reclaiming a lost dominion. What more do we need to help make us brave in the here and now and to know this? We asked this question at the beginning. What kind of a story we might ask would help to make us brave so that we have the necessary motivation to abound in the work of the Lord? Now, the Apostle Paul, and of course, ultimately, the Holy Spirit, who's inspired this particular passage, believes that the way has been paved via this story of the end of the world to now give us the imperatives, to now give us the now therefore. That there is a connection between this story of Christian victory, this story that the death is death is not the end, this story that Christ is is given us victory, the story that death um, has no sting anymore. All of this now culminates in the last verse of chapter 15, where we see the connection, the thing that ties this whole story together. In verse 58, and we read simply this, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you see (coughs) the word therefore? Okay? Underline, circle, highlight. Draw attention to the word therefore, because therefore is taking that whole section before, and it's taking verse 58, and it's connecting the two together and saying, because of this, therefore this. Because of all these things that we just learned about the resurrection, the things that we learned about Christ being victorious over death, all of those things do something now. And what is that therefore? This is a connection between the Christian's victory over death and what is about to come. Verse 58 contains an imperative verb or what we might call an application. Do this. Specifically, there are four things that we see in verse 58. First, we are to be steadfast. Second, we are to be immovable. 
going to give you how John MacArthur defines these two words. He says, steadfast literally refers to being seated and therefore being settled and firmly situated. Immovable carries the same basic idea, but with more intensity. This means to be someone who is steadfast and immovable means that you are not the kind of person who waffles back and forth. You are a person who is stable in your obedience to Christ. You go to church consistently and faithfully. You love your wife consistently and faithfully. You discipline your children consistently and faithfully. You don't shirk your chores or your responsibilities to your family. You are dependable. You are faithful. People can rely on you. Your word is good. You are, as we said last week, a plotter. You obey today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after and the month after and the year after and the decade after. And you just do what God calls you to do. Your life is not a roller coaster of emotion or instability or anxiousness or worry. It's like the small town that you left when you graduated high school. You come back to that town 25 years later and everything is exactly the same as when you left it. You're stable as a Christian in a good way. I'm not saying that that, that you never change at all, okay? Christian growth is all about change, okay? But there is a lack of a chaotic nature in you. You are settled, you are regular, you are trustworthy. Further, you abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because of what this verse says. You know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. One considers Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 that says this, Let us not grow weary of doing good. This is what this is talking about. You're not growing weary of the day after day after week after week after month after month. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Because of the resurrection, there is profit to all of your labor that is done in Christ. On this verse, Gordon Clark says this, Therefore we should mortify emotion, be steadfast, unchangeable, not erratic and scatterbrained, easily discouraged, and should multiply our good works in the knowledge that the Lord will make them profitable. Uh, Perhaps maybe he's overstated the statement on mortifying emotion. It may be better to say... uh, bridles emotion. Uh, emotion is not bad. It's not a sin to be mortified. But it is, uh, emotion is a very bad master, but it's a very good servant. And if we get the order right, um, there's a lot of profit and value in that. Nevertheless, I think on the whole, his statement is exactly what this verse is, um, is teaching us, is that we are to be people who are uh, stable, So the question then that we have to ask ourselves is this, where do we go from here? Something is wrong with this world. And this is why when we read this passage, the word victory is so refreshing We began with a question, and we stated that question three different ways. 
we said this, what kind of a story we might ask would help to make us brave so that we have the necessary motivation to do what? Abound in the work of the Lord. Or we asked it this way, what kind of a story do we need to hear that will cause us to shake off our apathy and to get back into the ring? Or we stated it a third way and it was this, what biblical truth will motivate us to pursue radical obedience to Christ? (laughs) What is this truth? So we kind of started from verse 58 and worked backwards almost. I didn't tell you what verse 58 was getting to, but we started with that abounding in the work of the Lord. And we asked, what do we need to get to 58? And so then we went back to the beginning and said, this is what we need to get to verse 58. We saw that we were called to be steadfast, and we asked, what kind of a story would we need to hear to motivate us toward that end? And you know what that story is? It is a story about the end of days, a story about the conclusion of the world. By the way, when I use the word story, uh, that word is not synonymous with fiction. Okay? When I say, what kind of a story do we need to hear? This is not sitting down around the campfire and making up a story. This story is real. This story is true. The resurrection from the dead will happen. How do we know this? Because Christ rose from the dead. And our resurrection from the dead and his resurrection from the dead are linked together in such a way that they can never be torn asunder. This is one of the reasons, there are many reasons why, this is one of the reasons why those who trust in Christ are eternally secure and will never lose their salvation because you are connected to Christ. You think you have the strength to undo that? (laughs) Those who are in Christ are secure in Christ because of his resurrection. We are told in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that God one day was going to send someone to crush the head of the snake. You remember that? Genesis 3.15, God gave a promise way back at the beginning of time that someone would come and deal with the snake. And here's what pumps a little adrenaline into our veins. Hearing the end of that story. Jesus was victorious. There's something about it. There's something about knowing how Scripture concludes that gives us what we need to live in the here and now. Hearing Jesus Christ throw the snake into the lake of fire... And hearing about Jesus Christ conquering death helps us here and it helps us now. This is not just some story that we tell to, you know, whatever. This is something that has real effects in the real life, in the here and the now, in the today. It teaches us that not everything is wrong that could be wrong. Nothing wrong with God. There's nothing wrong there. 
nothing wrong with Christ. It teaches us that the things that are wrong today, one day will be set right. We're assured of this. And so much so is this the case that not even death itself could prevent everything from being set right. You lying in a grave somewhere one day does not stop the victory of Christ. It doesn't. Your body may lay there. It will decay and worms will eat your body. But if you are in Christ, you will undergo a resurrection. And nothing can stop that. And so I have a question, and I have three points of application. My question is this. Is this story, this victory, this conquering of evil, this lordship of Jesus Christ, is this enough? (laughs) It is enough. Is this enough to put in that adrenaline that you need to make you brave enough to go and obey. We obey as a response to what he's done. Not to produce it, but because he has already done this work. We're not working to earn our salvation. We are working because we look at Christ and we say, how could you have done that for me? I want nothing but to serve you. Because of this, Jesus calls you to obey And in this text, in verse 58, he calls you to obey specifically in this way. Number one, he calls you to be steadfast and immovable. We already saw what this means. It means that you are dependable, reliable, not shifting, not chaotic. You don't produce that, right? Christ produces that. Okay? Nevertheless, this still characterizes us. Number two, in verse 58, we are called to apply this passage by always abounding in the work of the Lord. Right? This calls us to always... Wherever you are, if you're making, cooking dinner, if you're baking an apple pie, if you are doing whatever you're doing, you're abounding in the work of the Lord. Okay? And then the third and final way that this text is applied is to know something. Sometimes applications are to do this, and sometimes applications are to know this and believe this. And that's what this third one is, and that is you need to know or you need to believe that your labor is not in vain, specifically the kind of labor that you do that is in the Lord. Meaning that if you are cooking dinner to the glory of God, that is not in vain. It's not pointless. It's not useless. It has value in it. Now, of course, we could talk about what happens when you do this not in the Lord and to your own selfish ends or whatever, but that's not what we're talking about in this text. We're talking about when you do this in the Lord, it has value. All of this, everything, and I probably need to add an application to this, Because we have to go back to verse 57 for just one second here. And that is this. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through what? Jesus Christ. So go ahead, those of you who are taking notes, write application number four. Thank God, okay, because of Jesus Christ. Everything that we have talked about today, from the resurrection to your ability to follow through in obedience, hinges on the work of Christ and hinges on his lordship and hinges on the grace that he offers. And so he's worthy of praise for all of eternity. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. We thank you for the gospel and for this truth that gives us the motivation and the power to obey. We pray that you might stir our hearts in such a way as to make us uh, courageous to obey you, knowing that the courage itself is not produced by us, but is in effect laid upon us because of Christ. We worship you for this reality today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.